Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. My name is Chris Calzy, and I'm just curious, how would you answer that question? Um, if I'm being real, uh, it depends on the time of the year. Um, you know, I kind of believe that Santa had this, like, you know, he only paid attention towards that final quarter of the year. So Santa's threats were really compelling post-Thanksgiving when I assumed he was starting to do his final checks. Um, the, the peer pressure was definitely there, and the mom pressure only really worked when she was looking at me and giving me the gaze, and um, you all know what that feels like to be on the other side of the eye, right? In fact, she was just um, recently visiting us, and she was like, honey, um, sorry, I shouldn't, like, my mom's listening, so um, I, I, I grew up in the South, and so kind of we've got like, I grew up, my accent was very much honey boo-boo, um, and so we kind of joke, and so every time I do my mom's accent, it's because I'm doing my accent from growing up, so just as a disclaimer there, it's like, honey, I found out that, like, when you were younger, you were doing all these things, and I didn't even know about it. Like, I knew your brother was up to stuff, but I didn't know you were up to stuff. You were sneaky. Right? Like this just recently got brought up to me when she was at my house visiting. She was like, you're, you were sneaky, weren't you? And I'm like, fifth, you know, like I'm pretty sure statues of limitations when you're in like your 40s, it, it, you're out of that. But I, I don't know. So I haven't consulted the legal official, so I'm not 100% sure. I'm not going to lean in that fully. But she was like, I, I just keep finding out things you did. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, woman. I mean, you know, if they got pictures, maybe, but if there's no pictures, video evidence, can't, you can't pin me down, right? Um, the Santa thing worked for me probably uh, far more, and then uh, that's probably why my teenage years were not as good as my pre-teenage years, because at that point I realized there was not a large fat dude breaking into the house every December 24th, and without the fear of breaking in and entering and depositing gifts, it had lost its hold on me. But I think this is one of those questions that points to the deeper question that's really essential in our culture, this one around integrity. And if we're being honest, when's the last time someone's talked to you about integrity? It doesn't happen often. It usually happens on the other side of a significant moral failure. Integrity comes up typically after we've done something that we wish we could undo. It doesn't come up when we're sitting down before we've done something we regret. And this month is, is really in some ways a continuation of last month. Last month we began this series and we really wanted to kind of set, set the tone and the trajectory of this year to say what would it look like if we lived our lives in 2022 in a way that was significant, that was different, that changed the course of our lives, that we experienced a year filled with better decisions and fewer regrets, that we made progress, that we pushed into new careers and new disciplines and new habits and to new bodies and to, to new bank accounts and all of that really great stuff that are, you know, really good goals for the year. But if we're not careful, we can put so much emphasis on the external goals and we can miss the fact that there are some really important internal goals that we should be setting too. Because the internal ones, it's the internal life that's oftentimes behind the failure in someone's world. It's your internal, the thing that no one sees about you that oftentimes is the things that undo you. 
People lose jobs. People lose credibility. Not because of their resume, but because of their character. Not their competencies. And so how do we become people who start to not just put um, all the effort externally about an external transformation, losing weight, or seeing our financial position shift, but how do we focus on the thing that actually is going to have the most impact on our lives, which is our integrity. And to, to get there, I want to begin the conversation this morning. I'm not going to give you the answers. I want to ask you a question, a question that haunts me regularly in moments where I walk away shaking my head saying, why, why did I do that? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you walk away and you're like, man, that was not the best version of me that just showed up. My wife didn't get the best version of me that moment. My kids didn't get the best version of me. My employees didn't get the best version of me. And there's a question I've learned to ask myself when I walk away from those moments that helps me keep this integrity piece constantly in check. Because there's a danger as someone who my integrity is a professional liability that I always want to make sure that I care more about my personal integrity than what you think about me on the stage. And it's a dangerous thing. It's really easy to look good. It's really hard to be good. And so, um, I want to introduce you to this question. And over the course of this month, we're going to continue to dive into this issue around integrity. I'm super excited um, for you next week because you're going to hear from our own Dallas Darnell um, Dallas does a phenomenal job leading our students. He was at one point in our history overseeing all of our elementary age kids. So many of your kids, they've been here for a while. They know who Dallas is. They've sat in Dallas's teaching, but you've never had the opportunity. So I'm excited. I get to tee up next week for you to hear from Dallas as we continue this conversation around integrity. So let me start by taking you to a proverb, one that I want to encourage you to perhaps even memorize in the course of this month. It's a really simple proverb, and it's Proverbs 11.3. It's a, it's a proverb that's already preloaded in the Encounter Church app and in the messages. Um, it's one that's so simple that you can miss it. I really enjoy Proverbs. Proverbs were like the um, ancient equivalent of pithy office posters and tweets, except that what was different is that they came from God, and they were portable and pithy and profound and life-changing. They weren't just a quote from Tony Robbins stuck on a cat dangling from a tree. Um, these things have the power to change your life, but their power was in even their form. Because Proverbs were written in a day, most of them were written by one of the wisest men who've ever lived, a guy named King Solomon. But they were written in a day where people were, um, pre, it was a pre-literate society. They weren't reading uh, only the rare educated elite, typically royal or people around the royal um, sweet were educated enough to read. And so when Solomon was crafting these statements, he realized, I want to draft statements that are portable, that, that my children can take with me. Because Proverbs was written originally as a parenting manual. And you all know, if you have any kids, right, if you've ever been around kids, that like all of them will agree with you when, they're tell when you're telling them their advice and you're giving them that wisdom and they're like, yes, okay. But then they walk away and they forget it. It's like, oh, I wish I'd have remembered that. And so Solomon crafts this statement in a way that's meant to be memorable, but it's also meant to be reflected on. 
See, the strength of a proverb was it was like a really good movie. The more you watched it, the more you thought about it, the more you realized there was so much more to it and that there's a genius to it. And so Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So to kind of help us get to the question that's really worth asking, um, I'm going to kind of walk you through how to think about a proverb. Oftentimes proverbs, because they were pithy, because there was a, a, an, in, an intense focus on word count and imagery, uh, oftentimes as 21st century readers we can miss when we read a proverb what's actually playing out. Right? So this was an ancient culture that relied on different sets of visuals, different, you know, so you couldn't drop into this world and give a football analogy, right? To say, hey, if you don't give up, one day you can be like the Bengals and make it to the Super Bowl, right? Which would imply that, hey, you can be a hopeless team who's never won anything, and if you never give up and you spend enough money, eventually you get to a place where after 33 years you're in a championship game. Like, it's the cat on the tree. Don't give up. But if you step into the first, first century, or like this one written almost 3,000 years ago, and you're like, hey, be the Bengals, right? Like, that's not going to resonate. And so it's the same thing. In their world, they oftentimes used imagery. They used word plays. They used um, the way the images would contrast. They would embed words that would kind of have a ripple effect through it. And it was all rooted in their culture and their context. And so the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. This is a proverb. The more you visualize it, the more it starts to make sense. And to help you, these are the two words that's at the core of the visual. Solomon's trying to communicate. And it's this. There are the people who walk like this, and there are the people who walk like this. Because the crookedness is bent. It's a posture. It's one looking like this. And the other one is one that's upright. So when you start to realize, okay, he's trying to communicate this visual distinction. There are people who walk with their head up, and then there are people who walk with their head down you start to realize that, oh, this is like that Simpson episode with Homer when he's drinking and eating too much and Marge is like, oh, Homer, don't do that. And he's like, well, this isn't a problem. She's like, oh, this is, this is a huge problem. Don't you realize what it could do to you? And, she, and then Homer utters the words, well, that's a problem for future Homer, not me. Because future Homer is this other dude down the road who's going to show up in the moment in life somewhere. But that's not me. That's future Homer. That the bent... Walk with that type of posture. It's all about the moment. It's all about the self-satisfaction. It's all about the short term. Because all they see is what's right in front of them. All they feel is what's the focus of what's right there. We, impulsivity. It's like, will this make me feel good? Will I enjoy it? Okay, check, check, done. Versus the upright, which isn't focused on just the short term. They see where they're headed. They see where they want to go, and they're walking with that. And this kind of sets the, the frame of this proverb in a way that is actually really useful for us because now we have this idea of two people traveling down the road, and their posture is going to impact their pathway. If they're looking down on the ground, they're not going to see where they're headed. But if they're looking up, they're going to have the destination in mind. And what this does is it sets 
you up for this. That their posture is actually going to end up guiding them on a certain pathway. That what's underneath the path they choose is the posture they have. Are they people who have long-term? Are they the people that have a short-term focus? And oftentimes when Proverbs was written, you would see a word or thought in the first half that's not present in the second. And again, it's because it's implied. It's pithy. We're trying to keep it really short. We want to build this little moment for you. This is the ancient equivalent of a GIF, right? About 80% of my wife and I's communications are with GIFs. Because you can say so much with a GIF. It's just a simple image that has a simple little truth, and it's like, I mean, back and forth. And, like, the conversations get really funny. We're thinking about a parenting struggle, and she sends me a picture of a a little bag with oranges in it. And it's like, hey, I figured on the last day you graduate, on the last day of your your schooling, um, you should finally peel your orange today. Right? Because we're talking about how much, you know, how much do we do for our kids versus helping them do for themselves. And so this has been one of the things around oranges and peeling fruit. Like, you know, we have kids that should be able to do that. And so my wife sends me that, and it's kind of like, you know, hey, if we don't get a handle on this, this is probably what's going to happen with us. And then I send her a gift back from Parks and Rec, where Leslie's like, it's so hard. Right, and, and so we're like having this entire deep, profound conversation with gifts. And this is what's happening here with Solomon. He's trying to convey to his son and his daughters, like, hey, I want you to recognize there is a force acting in your life that your posture is going to influence and impact your pathway. And that pathway is going to lead to a good place or a destructive place. But I want you to be aware that it's there, that this is a force in your life at work. And this practically works because what happens is if you're walking with your head down, only focused on the short term, on the, the moments that right in front of your face, you don't recognize when you get to a place that's a crossroads, that's a fork, that's a decision point. Because for most of us, we would say, oh, I've got integrity. But integrity likes to throw us pop tests. Right? It's, it's those moments of crossroads where you watch a news story and you're like, I could never do that. Those people are idiots. I would never destroy my family like that. I would never make that decision. I would never embezzle money from them. But yet, if you're not careful, Solomon's saying, if you're only focused on what's in front of you, then you're not even going to realize that you're starting to walk down a path that's taking you somewhere. You're not even going to notice that you actually just deviated on a fork in the road and it's taking you somewhere. This is at work in our lives, Solomon's saying. He's like, this is a force, son, you have to be aware of. Your posture is influencing your pathway. Uh, I love news, and you know that if you've been to Encounter Church at, at any more than like half a minute. Um, and one of the storylines I saw back in December that I thought was really fascinating was around uh, this festival in the Middle East that was essentially a camel beauty pro- like kind of festival. And like this is a really big deal. 
Not something that you're necessarily like waking up being like, it's camel beauty pageant day. Like it's camel beauty pageant day. High five, high five. Like posting it on your social media. Like I've saw people recently who are like, it's spouse day. And I'm like, every day is spouse day. So, okay. Um, you know, and, but whatever. If this is the one day you give your spouse, why didn't just double up on February 14th if you're all about one day? You could do a lot more in one day, you know, than spreading across two. But, the, like, camel, beauty, pageant, day, yay. And, but, that's a thing. And so, like, people go all out for this thing. And the emphasis is on the natural beauty of the camel, which is kind of an oxymoron, right? Like, there is nothing natural beauty about that. But what they this past year in December, well, you know they they have they have to trek across the desert and they get examined and they run all of these like really intense biological tests and like all these like structural X-rays on these camels because they want to know is this a natural beautiful camel, you know like man I feel like a camel right like it's just like is this there. And this past year, over 40 people were disqualified and were fined in this camel beauty pageant because they were caught using Botox on their camels. Which gives me a little bit of hope because if Botox can fix that, then I'm just saying, honey, my best years are in front of me once I find a doctor to prescribe it for me because if Botox can make that look good, there's hope for all of us in this room. And online, right? But they, call, they were called over 40 of them. Now, the reason these 40 people that never had that, that level of cheating before in the competition, because it's been going on for a little bit. But the reason this is playing out is because underneath the Camel Beauty pageant is over $66 million in prizes. And all of a sudden, Botox in a camel starts to make a little bit more sense for you, doesn't it? You're like, man, for $66 million, I'll Botox a camel. Right? Like All of a sudden, you're starting to get to the heart of what Solomon is trying to point to in this passage. He's trying to drive this simple, trying to drive you to this simple question. Hey, what's guiding you? What's your posture? What's pushing you down the pathway? Because all of a sudden, we just understood something that, if I'd have told you a week ago, hey, next year, ne- next week, you're going to leave on Sunday and you're going to really understand and resonate with camel Botoxers. You'd be like, um, probably not going to be true about my life because empathizing with camel Botoxers is not on my short list of things to do. And yet, we all in an instant understood them, didn't we? All in an instant understood why someone would Botox a camel. Because what was really driving them, what was really guiding them, wasn't the pursuit of the camel's natural beauty. It wasn't the pursuit of trying to show up amongst your peers and demonstrate the superior breed of camel that you've raised and nurtured for these years. What was actually guiding and driving you was $66 million in prizes. That what you really wanted, what was really shifting and shaping and kind of focusing your decision-making was that money that was right in front of you. They didn't even realize that they had been following and guiding, being guided by that greed, and that it had taken them someplace. 
And when you take a step back and you start to ask this fundamental question, other things start to make sense in human civilization. I mean, there have been insane amount of systems and injustices all done under the guise of keeping the head down, chasing after money. Because when that's your guiding force, you can justify a lot of things around that. When your guiding force is just simply, I want to be approved, I want approval, I want love, I want acceptance, and that's your guiding force, then if you're not getting it at home, then you're willing to bend the corners to get it at office or to get it at the gym. And what Solomon wants you to realize is like, hey, you need to be able to ask the question, what's guiding me? Because this is true about me, and I imagine this is also true about you, but have you ever lied for the purpose to convince someone that you could be trusted? That's not too far off from Botoxing a camel. That we'll, we'll actually distort a situation. Why are we distorting the situation? Well, because what's really guiding us is that we want to look like we're not bad. So we'd rather be bad than look bad. Because that's what's guiding us in those moments. That I'm going to lie in this situation so that they can trust me. Growing up, those things that my mom referenced, right? Me being sneaky. That was oftentimes what was underneath those sneaky moments. I would rather deceive her so that she thought she could trust me. Because that's what I was after. I didn't want to lose my car. I didn't want to lose my cell phone. I didn't want to lose the ability to go hang out with my friends and go to that party. So I'm going to deceive you so that you'll trust me. That's about as jacked up as Botoxing a camel. And this is where this passage keeps driving. The more you process, the more you engage with it, the more you allow the visual imagery to build around you, the deeper and deeper it gets and the more personal it gets too. What is guiding you? That's not an answer I can answer for you. I can't give it for you. I know what guides me. I know moments of insecurity. This is the question. That when I walk away from moments, I'm like, man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And it's like, I hate, I'm allergic to moments where I don't feel like I'm enough. I'm allergic to moments where I don't feel like what I have is good enough for the other person. Maybe you don't experience that, but that's me. And oftentimes, if I'm being really honest with you, the moments I walk away from conversations like, what the, what was wrong with me? Why did I do that? Why did I tell that joke? Why did I say that? Why did I withhold that? And it's like, because something about that moment, I would rather look like I'm enough than rather admit that I'm not. It's why our infertility struggle was so hard for me because it was me that wasn't enough. It was why the past two years were so hard pastoring in the midst of a pandemic because I didn't know enough to know how to do that. Because all of a sudden, I don't have people in a room and trying to figure out how to become a YouTube studio. 
right, which was definitely not the grad school I went to. I mean, maybe if I was like 15, I would have probably been better prepared, right? But I don't know how to TikTok and dab and all that stuff with like music underneath. I don't know how to do that. But that was what I was thrust into. And I'd flip through my friends on Instagram, and they're dabbing and TikToking, and their online thing is blowing up. And I'm like, wait, when did, did you have that class in school? Because I didn't. That wasn't even a thing. But yet, you and I are the same age, but you're, you're killing it. But it's killing me. And I'm showing up. And I just started kind of noticing. I would walk away, and I'd feel icky on the inside. I'm like, Why did I just act like a high school kid who just saw the girl that he just broke up with who's dating a boy who looks better than him and and I'll be like, no, oh man, I got so many dates, I don't even know what to do with them, you know? Like, why did I just act like that? What is wrong with me? And it was because I was so consumed by looking like I was enough that I'd rather project that than own up to the fact that I wasn't. And you and I, in those moments when we hit a crossroad, have to know the answer to this question because if we don't know the answer to this question, then you're going to ask yourself this question after the moment. Like, what in the world was I thinking? What was I doing when I sent that text? What was I thinking when I... Spent money on that thing. Because we haven't interrogated. We haven't evaluated. What's my posture? Am I looking out, seeing my life long term and where I'm trying to head? Or am I obsessed with whatever is in front of me? And I'm so allergic to insecurity that I'm going to overcompensate in the moment to try to cover it up. I mean, I caught myself in a moment yesterday. I was just like, man, I just want to quit ministry. Literally, I had this moment happen to me yesterday. I wanted to quit ministry. The only thing that helped me was I have no marketable skills. It's like the best thing ever. I was like, man, I can't even get a job, so I guess I'm stuck. I got to figure this one out. And I walked away, and I was like, why am I? I mean, I literally, I was so childish. I went to my wife, and I was like, I can't do this anymore, Jenny. I mean, it's dead serious. She was like, "What what just happened? I was like, I just can't. It's like, I'm not enough for this. And then I had to walk away and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. Those were the most reckless words. I'm so grateful for what I get to do. I love what you allow me to do every single day of my life. I was a fool. Please forgive me. And then I'm like, why did I do that? What was guiding me? And it was like, oh, that thing again, that I'm not enough thing again. Blasted. I didn't even see it coming because it was a pop test. It's like, take out your notebook, spell the word onomatopoeia. You're like, good gracious almighty, how, what letter does that start with? And that's what life will do for us if we don't know the answer to this question and we don't learn to pay attention to the tension inside of us when we hit those crossroad points. Now here's the thing. Everything I'm saying to you, maybe you're like, okay, this is like such a religious thing. You people, you religious people, you Christian people, you're consumed with character. You're all focused and fixate. But, you know, it's like dog-eat-dog dog world. It's like, you know, circle of life. Like, I mean, you either are eating or you're going to be eaten. So, like, I don't understand this integrity thing. 
is a thing that actually will hurt you and hinder you in the world. And we hear that, right? You've got people who will build an entire career, they'll try to build an entire life off a self-oriented, narcissistic, self-consumed, whatever I can get from you is all I care about. Right? Those people who send you an email being like, hello, we're from Norton and we want to give you a refund. And, you know, and it's like from Norton Securities and they've accidentally billed you $595. And like I, I, was, I literally called that number like three weeks ago because I was so mad when I got that email because I knew it was spam. So I dialed it up and I pretended to be a person who had no clue what they were doing. And then I got them to start talking a little bit more, and I said, okay, I'm going to cut through the crap with you. I know what you're doing. You're trying to steal money from me, and you're not getting my money, but what's really messed up is that you try to do this with old people, and you take it from them. It is so wrong. What is wrong with you? I mean, because it, like, really fires me up that people exploit people. And so I'm like, you know, and, and the, the Norton security guy is, like, cussing at me and like, very broken English, and he's so mad, and he hangs up. And I'm like, I wasn't finished talking. So I dial the number back, and I ask for the guy again. I'm like, I want to speak to Ned, please. And it's like, oh, this is Ned. Ned, you hung up on me. No customer service from Norton's going to hang up on me. So you sit there, and he's like, beep, 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 beep. I'm like, Norton customer service does not curse at their customers. He hung up again. I called him back again. I'm so fired up. And I'm like, what is guiding you, man? Like, I, I, this is so warped. I'm just, like, having confession time, right? But I want to go full taken on these people sometimes. I'll be like, I will find you, and I will destroy your call center, and I'm going to take all your money and give it back to the people you took it from, right? Like, just something in me gets fired up. And why? It's because even if you're not a religious person, you intuitively recognize the utilitarian value of integrity because you Integrity is what builds trust. Like you can smell good, you can look good, you can take her on enough good dates that you might get her to say, I do. But if you don't have integrity and you're not fostering trust, she will not keep saying, I will. You can have a resume that looks good, that has all the numbers that need to be on there with all the titles from the schools and the places and the degrees. But if your reference checks don't check out, your resume doesn't matter. Because what we intuitively realize is that the, the understructure of life, the glue of relationships, the oil that keeps relationships healthy and flourishing is trust. And you don't get trust in any relationship without showing up consistently with integrity. I have watched couples who would rather have a cancer diagnosis than sit in a room and hear the other one confess that they've been having an affair. Because I've been in the rooms for both. And I can tell you, they both land tragically, but one tragically lands with like, but we're going to get through this. And the other one tragically lands with people not knowing if they want to keep doing this. Why? Because this one was about trust. And it destroys the relationship when you don't have it. And that ultimately, this isn't just about personal or professional. This is a societal level. I saw this stat just recently from the annual trust barometer, which is this um, global survey done to evaluate people's trust in government and news medias. 
And the U.S., just 39% of those in the U.S. said that they trusted the media. Like, think about it. Do the math on that one. 61% of people don't trust the news media. They think journalists are misleading them. Like, that's devastating for society. Because when trust erodes in a relationship, relationships fall apart. And when trust starts to erode at societal level, society starts to splinter too. And you can see that in our own culture, right? What's your political persuasion? What, what news channel do you watch? Are you a mask or anti-mask? Or you, you want to drive a truck and block a bridge? Or you support those who do? Or are you against those who do? What's your view on vaccines? We, we've gotten really good with splicing people and, and characterizing them and then saying, I don't trust them. And when you don't have trust, guess what? You don't have dialogue. You don't have conversation. You have demonization that starts to show up. And so this matters at a very utilitarian way that even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not sure about this faith thing, this thing is going to shape your life. But ultimately, as Christians, we think there's something more significant that your integrity matters because it does have the impact to shape your world and our world. Because there's more than just the utilitarian benefit to trust and integrity. There's the ultimate benefit that integrity has. So yesterday, our family, um, because it was such a beautiful day, um, the, the weather kind of feels like apocalyptic. It's like I can get sunburned one day, and then I can go snow tubing the next. As I'm, I'm like a little confused internally. Um, but it was like, hey, it's snowing tomorrow. Today's 62, so let's go outside and have fun. So that's what our family did yesterday. And so we went to Millennial Park because I've got a two-year-old who um, is like the Energizer Bunny, and you have to run that kid or you're just going to be exhausted, right? And so we're like, all right, boy, go ahead, run. And so we're playing in this huge, you know, if you've ever been to Millennial Park, it's got this massive soccer field um, up top. And so my daughter is scooting around the path, and my son is running, and we're like, okay, we can actually, like, sleep good tonight because they're going to sleep good tonight. And... Um, and I get this alert, we're on the playground later, and I've got a little Bluetooth tracker on my keys um, because I have a tendency to lose stuff really, really easily. Probably not a struggle any of you other people have, but this is it's a real struggle for me. And so I get this alert, it's like Chris's keys is no longer with you. And I was like, what? And I reach in my pocket, and I'm like, I don't have my keys. And so I'm like, hey, Jenny, I've lost my keys again, and um, I'm going to go find them. I, I don't know where they are, but I'm going to go start to wander. And so I'm like literally wandering. I get in this field, and the field is soaking wet. And it's like about three steps in. Now my socks are, are like soaking wet, which is, I don't know about you, but I would probably pick a colonoscopy over having wet, cold socks in shoes because that is so, so just, I don't know, it does something into your soul. And so I'm like squish, 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 squish. And I'm like trying to find my keys, and I realize at that moment that you probably shouldn't buy things for your keys that are all black because, like, that doesn't help you find them in wet mud. And so I'm walking around, squish, 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 and the sun is starting to set, and I'm realizing, like, oh, my goodness, all I have is my cell phone for a light, 
And at that point, like, my shoes are a different color, and the water's, like, up to here. And I'm like, why didn't I wear boots is what's going through my head. And I'm like, I'm never going to find my keys. I'm going to be stuck here for the rest of my life trying to find my keys. And I wander around, and I keep searching. And I pull out my phone, and I'm doing this. I'm, like, holding it up. Because I'm like, I've got a Bluetooth tracker on it. And so I keep walking around, and periodically it'll be like, uh, Chris's keys is nearby. And I'm like, oh. And at this point, it's completely dark. And my kids are like, like, I don't know, my kids are like really sweet. But if you ever remember that movie from the 80s, Gremlins, like you don't feed them chicken, you don't like get them wet after like midnight. Like that's my kids when they get hungry, okay? So if you don't feed them a meal, they turn into little gremlins. So we're like at that gremlin stage where like everybody in the family are, are full out gremlining at this point. Because now it's dinner time and it's dark and it's no longer a beautiful day. It's shifting towards that like snowfall we're going to have and it's getting colder and my feet are soaked and I'm squish, 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 wandering around the dark field and all of a sudden I see ding. 40 feet away, and I'm like, oh, 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 and it's like 41 feet, I'm like, oh, 40 feet, and it's like 39, to the right, to the right, and I, I'm doing it, and it's like 16 feet, turn to the left, and I'm like, do it, and Ella's walking with me, and she's got a flashlight, she's like, I found him, Dad, and that's the picture I took in the moment, right, so you saw this is a black screen, no, no, this is, this is my keys, <laughs> just in the moment, and I'm like, oh, clearly there they are, and she's like, You'd have never found those keys. I'm like, I'd have never found those keys. The only reason I found my keys was because my keys had attached to them this little beacon that kept sending out a signal that kept telling me which way to go. And this, this isn't some technological breakthrough. Humans have always relied on that for navigation. Whether it's GPSs in this generation or whether it's compasses and previous ones or even the North Star. That as humans, we internally and instinctively, for being honest, we know that just following your heart, trusting the internal guide, isn't enough to get you where you want to go. It can actually take you off a path into a place you never wanted to go. Because if you're bent over, and this is all you're doing is following your heart, and you have no ability to do this, then it does bring destruction in your life. And that just like the North Star, just like the magnetic field around us that guides us through compasses and just like last night when that bluetooth beacon was beckoning and calling me 40 feet to the right we are made to be led by some type of external objective guiding force in our life and at the underpinning at the like underneath all the book of proverbs there is this central idea that the understanding and the the adoration the realization of who god is and what he has done and how he is guiding your life is the central North Star that's meant to guide us in everything we do. And that he is to, to be that beacon for us. That his word is meant to be that guide for us. That causes us to ask questions sometimes like, what is guiding me? Because if we rely on our internal systems, we'd still be walking around in that field last night but it'd be our own life. And it wouldn't just be wet shoes. It'd be relationships that are destroyed. Credi credibility and reputation that's been lost. But that by looking and seeing and gazing towards the end, we can see our entire life and focus. In fact, the word upright, embedded in that word, its root is the word finish. 
It's the word to cross the line. That if we're really walking with uprightness, that we see our life's end in every step when we begin. A realization of that's the external beacon. God at the end of our life, looking over our life, is to be what's calling us. And if you're wanting to kind of lean more into that, one of the things I would encourage you is to try the 28 days of prayer. It's simple, but you'd be surprised what this discipline fostering in your life will actually do. The simple one minute a day, 1 p.m. a day praying, or one minute some other time. And that it's been really neat watching in the app with the prayer wall with people submitting and seeing prayer requests answered. That like I, I submitted something on there, and I've seen a prayer answered. And I know some of you are praying for some really significant, heavy, big things, and that you're still waiting on answers. But what was cool is this past week, when our family kind of like um, our bedtime devotional, we re- typically read a passage, then we'll pray, and we'll c- talk about the passage, and we pray. So uh, this week, one of the nights, I said, hey, Ella, instead of us praying like we normally do, let's pull out the prayer wall and pray for others. And it was so cool watching my daughter scroll through your prayers, praying for them out loud, and then hitting the I prayed button. And on the other end, some of you were getting notifications, hey, I just prayed for you, I just prayed. That was my 10-year-old daughter who's learning to orient her life around God's desires for people's and theirs. And she's like, Dad, can I put some prayer request on there? In the last few days, every day, I'm like, hey, Ella, six people prayed for you today. Hey, Ella, five people prayed for you this morning on the app because I get the alert that it's happened. And that for some of you, maybe this is your first step. For some of you, maybe it's the idea of faith in general. It was something I'm really passionate about. And on this website, there's an ability for me to send you a book, but there's also an ability to say, hey, I want to have coffee and I've got questions. Because your questions matter. Christianity, I believe, is true. But it's not something you just blindly assume is true. It's something that can stand up to the questions. And maybe for some of you, that's your next step, is to say, hey, I want to learn a little bit more. And I promise you, coffee, conversation is not going to be pushy. It's going to be like, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. Let's press into that. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And for some of you, maybe you're like, I I have faith, but I want to grow deeper and stronger in that faith. Then maybe for you, it's the 112. Beginning, I think, March 1st um, in the evenings, we'll have both an on-site, online version. And if you're interested in kind of growing in your faith, developing the disciplines to strengthen your faith, maybe the 112 is the next step for you. Because integrity matters. Integrity is the trust and the glue that's essential for all relationships to flourish at the personal, professional, and societal level. And that it's essential that we lean into that in our own lives. And that for us to really start to wrestle with what that looks like for your integrity in our world is to ask that simple question over this week so that we can start to become aware that it's there underneath the surface. That simple question which is, what is guiding me? Let's pray. God, thank you for grace and mercy and thank you for integrity. Thank you for the way it can guide us and lead us. God, I thank you for the people in my life who've been reminders of that northern star. People who have walked with us and 
challenged us and asked questions of us because they want to see us finish well. And so I thank you for my mentors, people who even shaped today's message, for people who are shaping my life right now. And thank you for that simple question of what's guiding us. And I pray that this week you would give us clarity to be able to see the answer to that question of what's behind the things that we do and the things that we choose so that in the process that we might begin to walk in the path that you created for us, that was for us and for our good. And in the process that we would become people of integrity who really start to shape and impact our world. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. I want to thank you for being